Welcome into Tailgate. Welcome Gators. AFC and NFC Championship preview here. Austin Gale with Mike Renner also going to talk about the East-West Shrine Bowl. We leave for Vegas tomorrow. Tomorrow at 5 a.m. It's going to be bright and early. We also got the mailbag, the listener voicemails on speakpipe.com slash tailgate. Got the trivia segment. Then loaded show at the back end here. Interviews with Michigan Edge, David Ojabo, Virginia Tech offensive tackle, Luke Tenuta, and then defensive tackle out of Houston, Logan Hall. Let's get it. I'm slowly becoming obsessed with euphoria, and I'm actually willing to say it's more captivating than succession. I won't say Ooh. it's better, but I think it is more captivating slash attractive than like attractive from an entertainment standpoint yeah. than succession because it's just legitimately nuts. This show is about a young drug addict in high school just completely surrounded by the most absurd high school experience I've ever seen. It's like when you were a kid, what you think peak college is like, but it's somehow they're all 14, 15 years old doing more drugs than I even thought was fathomable even late in your 20s. This chick at one point in the episode does a key bump like a seasoned vet. I've seen my dad maybe do one like as good as she does at like 14 years old. They're just swapping them in and out, crushing up Adderall every single episode. It's, it's an absurd show, and I love the premise. I haven't seen... A second of Euphoria. You're due. I don't think I really want to. I, I I do enjoy high school dramas, but I just like it everything I've heard about it, it just seems too over the top. So uh, I, I will say this. I also don't like high school dramas. Okay. And I no, held, I know I like high school dramas. Oh, you do? Yeah. They will see is like my favorite <laughs> show of all time. I held off from watching it because I don't like high school dramas. This is unlike any other high school drama I've seen. It's also like really well produced. It's from HBO. Like there's a very high production value to it. I'm on, I'm all caught up in the season two, two or three or whatever most caught up is. It is a sensational show. It is uh, over the top, very much so. But I mean, compared to Succession, my gripe with Succession is that the writing sometimes is way too cliche or like tropey, right? Like Roman, one of the characters in the show, the brother of Kendall, like every single time he speaks, it's some over-sexualized metaphor, right? Like his dad will be like, Roman, I just need you to get this done for me. He's like, oh yeah, you want me to be banging her in the backseat while I'm front? And it's like, you don't have to do a sexual joke every single time you speak. Um, but it, it, I do think that show is good. I think the writing is sometimes trash though. Yeah, I like Succession. It's just, the characters aren't believable. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. no one acts like that. And even, gosh, I'm so bad with names when I watch TV shows. I just let them gloss over me. But who's the one guy who's married into the family? Uh, Mar oh, uh, Wham's Gams. Yes. Even he is my favorite character. Even he's Same. like not a believable sort of character in that on one hand, he like bullies uh, cousin Greg. Greg. And on the other hand, he's like this big simp to his wife. That like does whatever she tells him to. That it's like he's just like not the characters just aren't quite yeah. to me great, but it's entertaining at the very yeah. least. I think Kendall's character is also very split, right? Like yeah. I think he's at times very much like the smartest, making like the best decisions. Like end of season two, you're like, wow, he actually made a good decision. Yeah. But so much of the show's give it away. pitfalls and challenges and like quote unquote like you know um, big big swifts 
I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I don't know what that even means. What am I trying to say right now? Like big um, plot lines. Plot. I don't know. Plot lines are just baked in him making the dumbest mistake he yeah, can that's make. True. Like just legitimately, like, are you dumb? But um, Euphoria Succession had to catch up with the gang. We're also traveling to Las Vegas. I think I've already told the story on my 21st birthday how I got kicked out of Treasure Island. It's not that good of a story. But I am banned from Treasure Island for life because on my 21st birthday, not even that drunk, my buddies dared me to go up the, um, the conveyor belt that takes the luggage up. And they're like, yeah, you won't do it. And I did it for literally... I want to say like less than eight seconds. And then I jump off and I'm like, okay, that was kind of lame. And this entire thing was lame. And I get tackled by like four security <laughs> guards. Get and it. then they were like, we're going to let you go. Just tell me what room number you're in. I was like, I don't really remember. Cause we just got there. It's like, who's the name under? And I wasn't sure if it was under my dad's name or whose name it was under. So I said like two or three names. And then eventually I was like, they're like, you're lying to me. You're done. Banned for life. I don't think I've told one of my Vegas stories. I, I, I very much enjoy Vegas. Um, <laughs> I ended up at a swingers party at a boxing trainer's house. What? And my bu my buddy said he's like you got to go to this, and I'm like, all right, I'll go. Did um, he preface it like you have to go to this swingers party yeah. at the trainer's house? He's like this. He's like it's awesome. There's like a ton of people going to be there, and there were, and they are all like well overweight, unattractive, middle aged people. And here I am. I was probably like in my mid twenties at that point. In your prime. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? But there was like a motorcycle that had a Sibian on it. It was interesting. It was oh interesting my ride. gosh! Wow. I was. Aggressive. I did not. I did. That's actually in season two of Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Needless to say, I did not last uh, too long in that. A ton on the motorcycle. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get off this topic. Let's get uh, into the AFC and AFC Championship preview. But before we do, the presenting sponsor of this podcast, make your bets not at the Swingers Party in Vegas. Make them on DraftKings. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left to you to bet on on the DraftKings Sportsbook at an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can bet 50 can get 50 to 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer, you can experience the conference championships with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets with the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just five dollars and win two hundred and eighty in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for fifty-six to one odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be twenty-one years or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum five dollar deposit. One dollar wager required. One per customer. Strict supply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred GAMBLER. I saw that New York mobile sports betting legalized. Louisiana mobile sports betting legalized. Ohio is supposed to happen before next season. Would I like to see it early? Yes, we need it. We need it. Just I want to be like a draft prop. Like, just let me bet on who's going to be number one overall pick. I mean, it's yeah. literally my entire job. If I can't make money on draft props, I should be. I was going to say I should be fired, but don't fire me if I don't make money. Last year, I put on the draft show right before the show. I think it was plus seven fifty that the exact first four picks plus seven fifty seven and a half to one odds that it was going to be um, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Jamar Chase, or oh. or no? Yeah, I think that's what it was. And it went, right? Or Kyle no. Pitts. Huh? Kyle Pitts. No, no. I, I meant Pitts. I, I okay. hit it right. I hit it Got right. It. And it went Pitts because I was talking to, I don't even know if I can give away my source, oh. but someone who's close to the Bengals who's like, they're going chase. And I, Eric has, I don't even know if I can say that, but someone, Eric knows someone really well at the Falcons. And then we were right before the draft. We're like, no, we know exactly where they're going. That's an opportunity, man. I think you're just, 
I think you're going to get popped here. That's that's called insider trading. It feels yeah. it feels like insider trading, maybe. But that's why you tune into the show. AFC and NFC championship. No, but that's that's also why they like cap props. Yeah. Like oh this. yeah. You can't bet like, more than like a hundred bucks. Exactly, because they don't want to go around policing it if someone does feel like or someone does have inside information. It's like, oh, we lost a hundred bucks. Yeah. Who cares? Let's go AFC Championship first, since that is the first game. Bengals at Chiefs. It will be a 3 o'clock kick. We'll be in Vegas. You are pushing to go to Circa Swim Club. If Quinn, while I'm going on this, if you could pull up some shots of Circa Swim Club, it is an incredible venue. We were there for last year's post-draft party with PFF. It was for your birthday, right? Your birthday. Well, I mean, it, my birthday just happened to be at the same time. Happened to be at the same time. But that was, I mean, that place is probably the perfect place to watch football games and bet. Yeah, there there is a video of me getting sprayed with champagne at Circus Swim. That was when I literally first show up to Las Vegas. That was a great, great welcome. I smelled awful the rest of the day. But that place, the TV setup there is unlike. I mean, it's like you're in front of a jumbotron at a stadium. Yeah, but you're like ten feet away from. Oh, me. Quinn's got it up. If you're watching it's, on YouTube, look at this gnarly. thing. I could get down with that. Look at this thing. It's pretty. And so, what's great too is if you're looking on YouTube, and I apologize for the podcast listeners here, but if you go to Circus Swim Club in Las Vegas, not only do you have this big ass jumbotron, but on the sides of it, they have live updated odds, and you can just keep placing bets, like if you want to. Like you, I remember when we were there. Uh, George Chahuri, chief experience officer here at PFF, put like a thousand bucks on the Suns and just like, you're just like celebrating in this pool in front of this massive jumbotron as the Suns went. Like it's just, it's an absurd piece. It is a lot of fun. Uh, the Circus Swim Club might be where we end up. Let's get to the game. So <laughs> it's going to be a fun week in Vegas. I'll, I'll say that. Um, let's start with beat Bengals Chiefs. Bengals go to Arrowhead. I was outside of Paul Brown. Did you hear them pumping in stadium noise? Yeah. So if you sit it. outside of Paul Brown right now, it is loud as hell. They were trying to make it a ruckus at Paul Brown Stadium as they practice for this game, knowing that Arrowhead is going to be rocking. Bengals go to KC, 3 o'clock kick on Sunday. Expected to be 47 degrees Fahrenheit. Clear skies in Arrowhead, unlike me speaking that Arrowhead does get cold in the winter. It does, I swear. They are seven-point dogs. Easily the biggest spread of the conference championships. One of the biggest spreads of the postseason. If you, you know, obviously the wildcard games, there were some bigger ones. But right now, a lot of the money is actually on the Bengals. A lot of the money is on the Bengals against the spread. Bengals, uh, PFF Greenline also sees a big edge on the Bengals to win this game as well. Uh, right now, 83% of the cash is bet on the Bengals against the spread at plus seven, and there's a 2.4% edge, according to PFF's betting dashboard, issue, that you can get in your lead subscription on the plus seven mark. Are you side? Let's start there before we pick who's winning. Are you siding with a Bengals cover here at plus seven? I am. I'm riding Bengals. I'm riding Bengals to win as well. Give me Cincinnati. Give me Joe Burrow to pull off the improbable upset. They already did it once. I, I Wait, think, you're going to Bengals to win? Yeah, going Bengals to win. I'd like the money line bet as well. Now, obviously, the Chiefs probably have a better chance to win. Like The Chiefs can play kind of like what I said about the Bills. The Chiefs' baseline is better than the Bengals' baseline. An average game from the Chiefs is better than an average game for the Bengals. But I believe in Joe Burrow and this offense right now. And yeah, Chris Jones is an issue. Like, I'm not denying that Chris Jones is going to create a lot of havoc, that they really don't have an answer. But I still do think that this offense is going to move the ball. And the defense has been playing outstanding. I think this defense is going to be much better equipped to handle the Chiefs' offense than the Bills were. I'm in on... Bengals plus seven. I like the cover. I think this line is way too big. When you factor in that, I think the Bills closest one and a half point dogs in Arrowhead. The, 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 
the Bills and the Bengals are not like five and a half point different, right? I think the Bengals are way closer to that one and a half mark than they are to this seven mark. Um, some of the key insights that I do feel like will sway this game. No team in the NFL runs more press coverage than Kansas City. And no wide receiver in the NFL has more yards against press than Jamar Chase. You are He is going to be put in a prime position again for a lot of one-on-one opportunities. Those same one-on-one opportunities that helped him win that game in the regular season. I think another piece of this too is that in if Cincinnati, and I say it a thousand times, if Cincinnati goes back to the game plan that they had in against Kansas City, where they threw a ton on early downs and really got aggressive, that's the Joe Burrow you want. And I don't think that's what this defense is prepared for. Like it's going to be very difficult to stop Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd if you're throwing 70 plus percent of the time against this Kansas City Chiefs team, and you'll be in perfect conditions to do so. You know, high 40-degree weather, clear sky, make it happen, Zach Taylor. Make it happen. I think that's what they're going to have to do. I ultimately do feel that Casey wins this game. If Josh Allen and the absurd postseason that he had can't pull it off, and I know some people are talking about OT right now, I don't know if Joe Burrow can. That's not to say Joe Burrow is obviously not an awesome quarterback. I think they cover the seven, but I ultimately think this is a three-point win for the Kansas City Chiefs or a six-point win on a touchdown in overtime. And I think... Like I said, Chris Jones is going to be a difference maker. I think also Trey Hendrickson, obviously got banged up last week, will be playing in this one. I think he's going to make a difference, but kind of like he did in that Raiders game because I just think he's the type of rusher that gives Orlando Brown fits. Like he, He's that speed rusher to the edge that if they leave him one-on-one with Orlando Brown, I think he is going to get a couple sacks in this one, if not a forced fumble or something like that. Wow, okay. Call it. Okay. Trey Hendrickson, every game. The other thing I want to mention this game, some props to bet on. You can see this on PFF.com, your player props betting tool, which has been awesome. If you don't like betting sides and totals, there's a lot more edge in player props because there's just so much less handle bet on those. They're not like bet into efficiency like the line and the total can be in betting. You can get this with a promo code TAILGATE, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E for 25% off and elite subscription. Patrick Holmes, over two and a half plus passing touchdowns in this game, 5% edge according to PFF Green Line, plus 107 depending on the market you can get it. And the other one I like, Byron Pringle under, under 35 and a half receiving yards, a four and a half percent edge, according to PFF Green Line. Anything on the Kansas City side? We didn't talk a lot about that defense. We didn't talk a lot about that offense. All Bengals right now. Where I, I, I said it. I still think the Kansas City Chiefs win this game. Patrick Mahomes is playing unreal football right now. I did a, um, some work for NBC talking about like he's a legitimate riser right now. Like how he played in the season. When you look at the last five to eight games that Patrick Mahomes played, he is on the up and up getting back to that form that we saw in previous years. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is like talking about the Chiefs is that they're like such a known quantity to a degree. Like they've been this team for four years now. You know, that's why they've gone to four straight AFC championship games. So it's like everyone kind of knows. It's like, yeah, you got to deal with Chris Jones. Yeah, you got to deal with Tyreek Hill. Yeah, you got to deal with Travis Kelso. You got to deal with these elite elite players. And I'll also start to throw in Nick Bolton in the run game into that mix. He made multiple big stops on third down in that Bills game that I think he is going to make some impact plays. I don't think the uh, Bengals win this game or move or the run game is a factor in deciding the outcome of this game. I don't think I don't foresee Joe Mixon really going off in this one. Let's jump to 49ers Rams. Tighter spread here, 630 kick in LA. 
Rams are favored by three and a half. I thought this would get bet down to three, still sticking out at the three and a half mark and PFF Greenline siding with San Francisco, even though it's not an overwhelming amount of cash on San Francisco in this game, actually. While there's a ton of cash on Cincinnati as a dog at plus seven, 54% of the cash bet on this game thus far has been on LA, LA to cover the three and a half. Greenline likes San Francisco plus three and a half. It sees a 2.7% edge on that and a 2% edge on the San Francisco money line at plus 153. Does the Cinderella story come to an end, right? They've been underdogs in every game they've played this postseason. They were underdogs in that game against LA that got them into the postseason. Going to LA to go to the Super Bowl. Does this Cinderella story end for Kyle Shanahan, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and obviously Jimmy G? I think it does. I think this is where LA kind of flexes the muscles of the dominant players that they have. And you saw it in last week's game against the Bucks. Like that is why they traded for Von Miller. Maybe he's not Von Miller that we knew from before on a weekly basis. But Von Miller in the playoffs, the juice that comes with that, the sort of like adrenaline that you get in those big situations was back to do, do look like prime Broncos Von Miller. And I think you see that again with what Tom Compton looked like at right tackle last week against Rashawn Gary. I, I think he's going to have some issues with Von Miller this week. Von Miller, by the way, I'm glad you brought him up. 28% PFF pass rush win rate, which is the highest of any defender this postseason. Trent Williams didn't practice today. Friday will be the kind of the key thing to see with that ankle injury. I think he ultimately does play. Has to. Has to play. So has Trent to. And, and Von Miller has kind of split sides for the Los Angeles Rams defense so far, but the matchups against Tom Compton, you brought him up, I think will be key, will be critical. If Von Miller continues to play as well as he's playing right now, this that will be a dangerous turn of events, an yeah. absolutely dangerous turn of events. I think Andrew Whitworth, who did not play last week against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's listed as questionable. But Joseph Nopum held up well, right? Like, Nopum was not a complete disaster there at tackle, so I'm not overly concerned with that injury either. Something I wanted to highlight, too, on the San Francisco side, Elijah Mitchell. You know, so much of the San Francisco 49ers offense, we've talked about Kittle, Ayuk, um, Debo, obviously. Eliza Mitchell, this offseason or this postseason, 114 yards after contact, more than any other player in the playoffs. And so such a high percentage of his yards coming after contact. He has been such an outstanding rookie for the San Francisco 49ers team. I think some people forget that he is a rookie. No, Elijah Mitchell. Oh, sorry. Elijah Mitchell, 114 <laughs> yards after contact this postseason, one of the highest-graded running backs in the yeah. NFL this year, and everyone brings up Kittle. You know, everyone brings up Trent Williams and Ayuk and Debo. But Elijah Mitchell, man, people are quickly forgetting he's a rookie because he's so damn good and has his hit the ground absolutely in a full sprint for San Francisco. Yeah, him, he, he's why draft athletes are running back. Like, I, you don't, why you want explosiveness at running back. You ran the 4-4s. Four he had probably the best athletic testing metrics of any running back coming out last season and that that translates you know like that that is that is a big factor especially at the nfl level when the all the athletes get better it's a big factor in success and he was good at louisiana he just obviously played at louisiana didn't get a chance to showcase himself against top competition Deontay Lee, I think, or it was Seth Galena, maybe it was Galena, wrote a lot about D'Amico Ryans and this defense mm-hmm. that he's coaching up in San Francisco. Over their last 10 games, they rank 8th in EPA per play. And in this postseason, I think they're the number two defense, obviously, among very few teams. Matthew Stafford recorded six of his 27 turnover-worthy plays this year against the San Francisco 49ers and lost both games. Does Ryans have Stafford's number? Do you see another, like, 
Not I'm not saying a disastrous performance from Stafford, but in the postseason, all it takes is two or three yeah. turnover-worthy plays to really turn a game. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to take for 49ers to win this. Like, I don't see the 49ers coming out offensively and doing what they did that one Monday night football matchup where it's just like drive when they start off with an 11-minute drive that one game um, and just like Rams had no answers, it seemed like. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be either a dogfight or where it's like 13 to 17, Rams can't move the ball or Rams pull away big. I am ultimately siding with Rams winning Niners covering the three and a half, though. I think this one's going to be tight. You just hedged both. You just middled both. I kind of want to middle it. I kind of want to middle it. I think the three and a half is too big. I think at three, you take Rams for some push probability, but I like San Francisco plus three and a half. So basically either way, whatever happens in either game, you can say... I was right. You were right. Yeah, that's all. No, I mean, technically no, right? Like the Well, like the 49ers <laughs> win, you said you were right. If the Rams win, you're like, yeah, pick the Rams. Yeah, of course. But I'm but saying I didn't Chiefs pick the Bengals game. You said if the Bengals... Win, what do you want me to do? Do you want me cover. to just... Okay, I think saying, the Rams win oh, that's cover. That's all I'm saying. A cover, you're saying the game is going to be decided by three points or less is what yes, you're saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So it has to be decided by three points or less so you don't. Yes, if it doesn't if it doesn't credit, get sounded by three points or less, I'm wrong. For that I agree. I, okay, okay, fine. Fine. No, fine. See what the Gators think of that. Gators is catching on, by the way. Podcast listeners, Gators. the Gators, and I think we get a Gator chomp going to mess with the University of Florida. A little Gator chomp action. I'm a fan. Quinn, are you a big fan of the Gator thing? We haven't had your comment on it. Sure. Let's do it. Alyssa. Let me see if I can come up with a sure. graphic or something. Love that. Love that. Alyssa is a new producer here on the show. Alyssa, any comments on the, on the Gators? Uh, I like the Gators, but maybe we can open it up for other suggestions. I like, I like it. <laughs> hates Everyone hates the Gators, dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I like, like I don't three or four you. names and then put it yeah. out on the Twitter account. If you made like a cool cartoon Gator that looked like a tailgater, Right, he, like he was like he had like a douchey hat on and like was carrying a six pack. I think more people could catch on, but I think Gator has too much of like a hardo representation. You need yeah. like something kind of more lax. But either way, let's keep let's keep grinding the tape here. I want to get into the East West Shrine Bowl, man. We're gonna yes, preview the Senior Bowl early next week. The Senior Bowl practices I don't think start until Tuesday of next week. Mm-hmm. The, the East West Shrine Bowl practices actually start on Saturday. That's when we're we'll getting into those. There actually are a lot of. No big name prospects uh, uh, going to the East West Shrine Bowl relatively compared to maybe like a Hula Bowl or a Collegiate Bowl. Some of the highest. Call them draftable prospects. Draftable prospects. Uh, Some of the highest on our big board that are going to be in Vegas with us at Circus Swim for the East West Shrine Bowl will be Kellen Deesh, the Arizona State offensive tackle, Kirby Illinois, safety who's been on the show, friend of the show. Kirby Joseph. Kirby Joseph from Illinois. I don't think he's going to be. I think he went to the Senior Bowl. Right? Oh, did he pivot? He pivoted. Oh, wow. So he's not going to be there. So we'll preview him on that one. Jackson Kirkland, offensive tackle for Washington. He'll be down yeah. there at the East West Shrine Bowl, 75th ranked player on PFF's draft board. Some other ones to highlight. Jack Sanborn, Wisconsin off, uh, linebacker. Jermaine Waller, Virginia Tech corner. Uh, JVN Heli, the Coastal Carolina receiver that graded really well for us this year. Luke Tenuta, who we just had on this show. Uh, six foot nine offensive tackle, by the way. Did you know he wanted to play edge? before he wanted to play defensive line he was originally a pitcher oh. like a big ass pitcher yeah. and he said he couldn't he couldn't really uh, ever muster it out so he ended up moving from pit like wanted to do baseball 100 his older brother i think is in the league then he wanted to be a defensive player now he's an offensive tackle obviously virginia tech those are among the highlights ty fogel fry fogel from indiana michael F- michael mcfadden from indiana those are some of the bigger names but um 
It'll be it'll be a fun time getting down there. I will say so. The, I think the offensive line class there is probably the best collection of talent, and I think it's because Senior Bowl invites a lot of small school guys at the offensive line position. Because, and I think that's via like request from scouts, yeah, and front offices. I think they request guys, whether it's I believe like Braxton Jones from Southern Utah. Uh, you've seen a lot in years past whether uh, Quinn Miners getting invites. Like they, they invite the small school offensive lineman because one, it's a very good evaluating piece for an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, offensive line is a position where there's only so many guys that are of the caliber of athlete and size that can succeed at the NFL level. So you invite these guys from small schools and just see how they look. And sometimes the guy looks like Quinn Miners, and you're like, holy, sh- holy yeah. shit, this guy can actually play. This guy, we're going to draft him early. A lot of times it's like, oh, no, they can't. And a lot of the guys who are those small school guys that go to the Senior Bowl don't look great, end up going undrafted. Whereas guys like Kellen Deesh from Arizona State, Alec Lindstrom from Boston College, scouts have seen them play against top yeah. competition, seen them play a ton of Luke snaps. Luke Tenuta, Virginia yeah. Tech. They've seen them play a ton of snaps at this point. They could go there to the Senior Bowl, but it'd be like, we know. like We know who you are. Like You're a solid prospect. You're probably going to go fourth, fifth, sixth round. But So they're pro- they chase more of those... You know, quote unquote high ceiling guys mm-hmm. from smaller schools that they really haven't seen against top competition. So that's why I think you see a good offense of line class. And I think the one-on-ones there are going to be good for their evaluations. Another player that you didn't mention, one of the small school guys that's going down there that graded really well for us was JT Carter. JT Carter is one of these guys. Uh, I think he went to one of a very small school in the FCS. I don't have it in front of me, but JT Carter is another one going to the senior bowl. Like you said, um, Bubba Bolden from Miami, Florida, also going to the East-West Shrine Bowl. I'm still trying to hype up the East-West Shrine Bowl, man. Brad Hawkins, who's been on this show. Who are some of your guys that you're looking for? Yeah, a couple more guys that I'll highlight here. One, I mentioned the offensive line, defense line, one-on-ones. Jeffrey Gunter from Coastal Carolina. He's going to test really well at the combine. 6'4", 260, probably 34-plus inch arms. He's going to test really well, but just like does not have pass rushing moves on his tape. Now, can he go learn some? They're going to they're gonna try to get him to do some. He can't just go there and do what he's doing at Coastal Carolina in the one-on-ones. It'll look ridiculous. So that's a guy I'm looking forward to seeing. And then there's a couple guys in the secondary. Hawkins, like you mentioned, I think he's going to play some linebacker there. I would be surprised if he doesn't. He's 221 pounds. That's just not not a lot of guys get by at that size. Those, those 221-pounders are linebackers in today's NFL. So see how he looks there. And then Jermaine Waller from Virginia Tech ha- had a – up and down season this year had some really high end picks and pass breakups on his tape, but he had a leg injury, missed almost all 2020. Just very inconsistent this year. I think he could make himself some money. I think he's more talented than what he put on tape this year. I think he can make himself money if he plays well in the one on ones down there at Shrine Bowl. Another guy in a similar vein, former four star, went to Oklahoma originally, but Charleston Rambo, the Miami, Florida receiver, yeah. six foot one, 185, transferred from Oklahoma to Miami for this past season. Like I said, former four star. I kind of liked some of his tape early on in his Oklahoma career, but he never like took this next step, mm-hmm. right? But I do think that's another player that I- I'm interested in seeing more of down there. How about your boy, Jack Cohn? Notre Dame Golden Domer legend. Are we going to have to get some content out? You guys talking about bookstore basketball? The crazy thing is he might like, I would say I would rather have him. This is going to sound maybe bad, but it's, I would rather have him in the NFL than Ian book. Like, no, really? Yes. Yeah. I, I cannot believe I still to this day. Cannot believe Ian book went in the fourth round. That pick to me is still like, 
absolutely. Blow. I mean, we saw, you saw him play. Yeah. You saw what that looked like. I think Cone, if you at least pass protect him, I think can not look like that. You know, mm-hmm. now obviously the pass protection, uh, arm strength, or, or the, the pass, or the pocket presence issues, the arm strength are all big, big negatives. Dude's a statue, but he's at least accurate with football and at least knows where to go with it. LeBron Ray, six foot five, two eighty five, the Alabama defensive tackle who was at Alabama for a long ass time. Former five star, never played more than three hundred snap or three hundred and thirty snaps in a single season. Never really took that next step as a pass rusher, but still monstrous size and has had success against the run. A guy that I am excited to get down there and see as well. He's a top two hundred player on PFS draft board. We'll say if you're like if you go to Alabama and play for five years and you're not getting a senior bowl invite and you're not and you're like a project scary i'm not sure there's anyone who's like you know recovered from such a thing i'll just say what what about a player i wanted to get your take on because i kind of like some of his tape but he's not super highly ranked on pff's draft board the tennessee offensive lineman Cade mays Cade mays is graded well for pff at least in some previous years i thought Cade mays Cade mays has had some good tape i guess i guess speak to you know why he's only 161 on the draft board, I guess, or um, his opportunity at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Yeah, so he was a five-star tackle at Tennessee to start his career. Um, gets, like, flipped all over the place at Tennessee. Ends up transferring, uh, or excuse me, to Georgia to start his career. I've got that backwards. Georgia to start his career. Ends up transferring to Tennessee. Sticks at guard there. And he's got this ridiculous build. Like, the guy is built in a lab to play guard. His chest is insanely wide. If you look at him, like... He's has road grading potential. I, I just don't think pass pass protections the worry with him. I think he also got a senior ball call up though. I think he'll be at Mobile. Man, all uh, these guys are getting poached. I know, right? Absolutely poached going from Vegas to Mobile. Well, we'll watch both. I'll make sure on the Monday episode or maybe the Wednesday episode next week. We could also maybe do four episodes next week, get some bonus episodes out there. We'll preview the Senior Bowl list. There's a ton of players going to the Senior Bowl that will be good. I think there's like 20 top 50 players going to the Senior Bowl. Man, this Senior Bowl class is absolutely loaded. Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Roger McCreary, Trevor Penning, Kenny Pickett, Logan Hall, all going to the Senior Bowl, all top 50 players. We'll preview those guys on a future episode. Before we get to the mailbag and the voicemails now. I want to tell you about a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, a fellow Gator, if you will, Western and Southern. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? I'm asking. How about a need to know for your financial future? Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the Ultimate Feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to 2500 bucks and coordinate your order for a restaurant near you. And you'll have it delivered on February 13th, 2022, which is Valentine's Day, which is the Super Bowl Day, which is also National V-Day, Manscaped Day, which we'll get to later. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember... With Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. On to the mailbag voicemails and trivia. I think the order we've liked the most is voicemails, then mailbag, then trivia, then interviews with David Ojabo, Luke Tenuta, and Logan Hall. And let me hammer this home again. Listen to the Ojabo interview. Stay tuned for the Jabo interview. It is fantastic. That dude is built for on-camera stuff. But let's start with these voicemails, Mike. 
Yep, let's do it. Uh, we got the first one is from our guy Paul in Nashville. I think Gator Paul. Call, everyone called Gator Paul. Gator Everyone's Paul. a Gator Paul. Okay. He called in either last week or the week before, and this is actually an old question. He asked it last week, but I think it's a good one, so okay. we're going to let it, let it rip. Hey there, Mike and Gail and producer Quim. This is Paul calling from Nashville again, and I had a question for you I think you all be able to help with. It's about tailgating. I'm going to the Titans-Bengals game on Saturday, and, you know, I've never really been to a tailgate. What Could you fill me in on some of the etiquette or what I'm supposed to do? Do I show up with a rack of beer or a bottle of whiskey or some food? And finally, do you think that Nashville hot chicken would go good on Skyline Chili? Thank you all. Nashville hot chicken is phenomenal. I'm a huge fan of Nashville hot chicken. Don't put anything near Skyline Chili that actually tastes good. I'll say that. I think it's a good question on tailgate etiquette, though. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel, let's start with what do you bring? One, energy. Two, you got to bring like a three rack. You come with a six pack. It feels like you're making that a personal decision and you're going to have two of those yourself and like maybe you'll give one out. I feel like you're kind of an asshole if you show up. I'd rather you show up empty handed than show up with a six pack. Yes. Bring a 30 rack of Miller Lite, Coors Light, Bud Light, Rolling Rocks, some cheap tailgate beer. If you don't bring enough alcohol for yourself to drink, you have to bring like food. You have to supplement it with something else. But you should more often than not, unless otherwise told so, bring enough alcohol for you and to share a little bit more. I also feel, though, if you give people the opportunity to bring food, they sometimes see it as like this laziness kind of can set in. And they'll like, oh, I brought chips. chips. It's like, yeah. screw you. I'd That's rather a young man's move. Yeah. Which like I don't respect. If you're out of college and you have a, like a real job and stuff like that, you need to bring not a bag of Tostitos. You need to like you know, stop at McDonald's and bring some burgers or something. Uh, like, a, like a Taco Bell taco box? Yes. You roll up with that's like 30 move. tacos, that's the boys ta- are buzzing. That's literally a Taco Bell commercial, I think. But <laughs> yeah, you like I said, more alcohol than you yourself can drink is the etiquette. If Unless like otherwise told not to. Unless someone's like, we have 300 beers come through, then... What's your favorite non-drinking tailgate activity? It's Ooh. obvious. Non-drinking tailgate activity? Throwing the ball around. You throw the ball around. We did that at the Bengals tailgate. David Sofaro, public relations, took a spill. <laughs> David Sofaro comes up to me at the Bengals tailgate. Everyone's a little toasted. But he's like, let me hit me hit me on the post. And he run, he tries to cut on the post and just slips in the mud gravel in the Bengals lot. It was fucking hilarious. See, I'm like, I'm a big cornhole guy. Yeah, so I know. I will, You're always I get, I get locked in. I will be sitting on cornhole for like hours on end and not really think about much else. I will literally never point. forget, never forget. Where were we on the tailgate tour? It was back in Champaign. Oh, yeah. And we were playing cornhole at your like old stomping ground Joe's. bar, Joe's. And you just couldn't lose, dude. You couldn't lose. And then there was these kids there. They're like, when I say kids, like early 20s. And they like, I, they, they didn't know I knew you. I'm just sitting down drinking. And they're like, dude, don't even want to play this guy. This guy's a buzzsaw. And then like, I look around like, yeah, they call him the buzzsaw. And, like, <laughs> and then everyone at this bar started calling you buzzsaw. You ultimately did lose at one point, but man, uh, you were yeah. on an absolute tear. I probably won like 20 in a row. It was ridiculous. The next question. What's up, Austin and Mike? It's your boy, Dylan here. Gator Dylan. And I didn't answer. Every time I go on Twitter, I keep seeing these comps for Traylon Burks. Whether it's a Monday, he'll be compared to Jerry Rice. If it's a Tuesday, he's compared to Calvin Johnson. If it's a Wednesday, <laughs> he's compared to Jesus. If it's a Thursday, he's compared to, I don't know, a David Bowie tactical nuke. Every time you go on Twitter, 
there's a new Traylon Burks comp. So, I mean, what's the deal with this kid? How good is he? Traylon Burks, I I think he didn't mention a comp that I've actually liked the most. And I even feel like my comp right now is a bit of a cop-out. But I think it's similar from a usage perspective. I I do feel like this is going to be the comp you consistently hear that isn't Jesus Christ or the David Bowie nuke. But I do like the A.J. Brown comp. Six foot three, two twenty five. A lot of work from the slot. Didn't really move into the outside um, until I think a little bit later this year, right? And then you look at like AJ Brown's usage at Ole Miss was very slotty, gimmicky yards after the catch stuff until DK Metcalf got hurt. And then when Metcalf got hurt in his last season, I wrote an article for the Athletic at the time. When Metcalf got hurt, he moves to the outside and was dominant, like dominant on the outside. And a big reason why, like obviously AJ Brown's good here. And some receivers are listed at. 225, 6 foot 3, 225, and they're actually like in the 220, 215 range. But when we had him on the show, this guy was getting made fun of in the locker room because he was a little bit overweight, like at the 230s. So this guy's a true 225. Like I had to get down to this figure, 225. So I do think he's a big boy. I think that A.J. Brown type of frame is where I'm trending. That's like, I think made my favorite comp, even though I hate recently drafted player comps. But I do think that's the, the mold I kind of see him filling. See, I thought A.J. Brown kind of as a route runner and kind of after the catch is just like a shiftier dude um so i i, I don't necessarily love like he and that, like a lot stylistically of- who he's more like dk metcalf to me mm-hmm. stylistically and like the route tree he's gonna run where he's going to win then he is uh aj brown like he's just like dk metcalf with a little less speed is i think probably where i would go with comp and that's a good that's a good starting point. Yeah. You know, like probably DK back kept their runs a four four instead of four three three, and it's just a little more fluid. So you think he's gonna be stiffer, right? Or I say just probably a little more. DK is pretty stiff still. Yeah, like just a little more fluid than DK. Probably just, that's where I'd go with the comp. And some of that I think probably comes with just the bigger size, right? Like he's like AJ Brown two twenty five, but he's also six foot. Like this guy's obviously a little bit taller, a little bit stiffer. Um, that was from Gator Dylan. Let's get to the next guy. Uh, hi boys, uh, another international guy. Uh, Austin knows me from irritating him on Twitter every week when I need info that I don't want to get so I can annoy my friends. First off, Mike, hope it goes. That's Mike Quinn, you know, the good Mike. Um, hope it goes great with the Bengals this weekend. Wow. We all believe in Byron. The support. etc. etc. Austin, you're the kind of guy who looks at Velvet Underground and says they're the greatest band in history because they have a cool banana on the cover. And Mike, Without the Packers and without your hair, I think the mic might be more, as in the mic you're speaking into, might be more interesting than you are at the moment. As for a question, uh, the rumors are all saying that Jonathan Gannon is the uh, front runner for the Texans job. Just wondered what you thought about that. And lastly, Mike Quinn, that is, how would you feel about a nice trade for Laramie Tunsil? Your first looks nice from my perspective. Anyway, cheers, boys. The Larry Tunsil trade is interesting. I don't know if the Bengals be willing to trade a first for Larry Tunsil, but I would do it. <laughs> Quinn's in. Quinn's Me personally, that's a late first. It is a late first. Twenty nine through thirty two somewhere. So they do need help, and it's like who they pick if they pick an offensive tackle in the late rounds. They're not that person is not coming in and, and going to be the guy, right? You're going to need they take one in the first round. Yeah, it's free it's agent. Unlikely at that point in time, you're going to get a nice starter. So uh, I bet that's where they go. It's free agent trade, something like that. What was his first question? Jonathan Gannon. So a lot of the people that I respect that follow the Eagles consistently like don't understand why this guy is even in the mix, mm-hmm. I guess. And I haven't watched 
closely for Gannon's scheme. The defense has not played well, but a lot of that is talent, right? I mean, the defense does not have a ton of talent at the second level. I will just say in terms of like pedigree, who he's like learned under, learned under Mike Zimmer, Matt Eberflus. And it's like he's and he's getting this hype as that not for schematics. It, like you get hype like this as a head coach for like your personality and who you are and like how you com- command and your leadership. That's what that's why you get hype and that's why he's, you know, a hot name on the on the circuit despite, you know, less than obviously stellar results. We knew that the Eagles are not top ten top flight defense this year. But I will say, learning under those two, like I said, Eberflus in Indianapolis, Zimmer in Minnesota, that's a pretty good combo. Like that's a pretty good defensive background. Not saying you're getting those defensive minds, but that's where he hails from. And it's you can only do so much with talent given. It's not like the Eagles were world beaters on that side of the ball. I'm a big fan of Eberflus. I, I kind of want him, I know he's interviewing for a lot of head coaching openings. I hope he gets one. I'm a big fan of what he's done with that Colts defense. And yeah, they had DeForest Buckner. Yeah, they have Darius Slinder. But I think he has maximized the return on investment, maximized the value that, on, on the Colts defense. You know what we never talked about? Don Martindale leaving the Ravens. Oh, did they? Yeah, they mutually decided to part ways. That's right. We never talked about that. That was weird. That was weird. He's, I mean, he was, they were, I think there were only like, there was only one defense heading into this year that was top three in 2019, 2020. It was the Ravens. Obviously, I don't, weren't top three this year because. Literally everyone got hurt. I don't know what he was supposed to. I don't think he got fired, right? Yeah. Like maybe they desperately, desperately wanted this Michigan guy, right? That's what the reports are. Mike McDonald, who Ajabo talks a little bit on the interview, a little tease there. Mike McDonald apparently is reportedly looking to move into that role for Baltimore, being the defense coordinator under another Harbaugh, the other brother. Weird. Martin weird, weird situation. I wonder if we ever get to the bottom of what happened. Burrow ended his career. <laughs> Let's get to the next Gator. Uh, that last one was from King Jamie, by the way. Shout out to King Jamie. Gator King. Next one Gator King. is uh, our guy, Keelan Fred. Gator Fred. Hey, fellas. It's Keelan Fred once again. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, man. I'm a broken man. On Saturday, I had a realization that a truth that I believed more so than any truth in my life was actually a lie. <laughs> That the tits were good enough to win a Super Bowl. And that Ryan Tannehill was good enough to not hold them back. I came to that brutal realization at my house, where I prefer to watch games. I'm a silent watcher. Typically, I like to focus, see what packages we're in defensively. How's our line looking? What are we doing on offense? I'm a big, I focus. But on Saturday, I decided to invite my one Bengal friend over to watch the game with me, which is already a risky move. But then he invites two of his buddies. So then I'm outnumbered three to one in my own house of Bengals fans. One of them brings a fucking two-year-old running around the whole time (laughs) drinking my bourbon. And I was fuming. (laughs) And then the very next day, I tested positive for COVID. I'm in a rough spot right now. I need to take a couple weeks off from the show. And then I'll be back with draft takes. The first of which is that Sky Moore is Renna's new Andy Isabella. No. No, Keelan putting the Andy Isabella. That's brutal. We don't want I mean, that. We don't a, want that. From a 
from a certain perspective, yeah. I mean, like, is that one of my favorite wide receivers in the draft? Yeah, but now, you want him to be your new Deontay Johnson. Receiver. You want him, you want yeah. him to be your new Deontay Johnson. When That's I interviewed true. Sky Moore, it was hilarious how much he loves Deontay Johnson. He's a big Steelers fan. He's from the Pittsburgh area, and he's like, my number one receiver in the NFL is Deontay Johnson. It's mm. his favorite receiver. Surprise, surprise. You see a lot of those games, but right. for Keyline, I am, I'm, I'm sorry, Keyline. Yeah, we might have to start a GoFundMe for Keyline's. You know, I will say I learned recovery. in college. It was 2010 season, so the, the, the Packers Super Bowl run, the NFC champ. My roommate in college was a Bears fan, um, and so obviously I played in the NFC Championship game that year and invited over a bunch of friends for the game, and I was the only Packers fan. There's probably like him and like three other Bears fans, all rooting for the Bears. You never, never again. I will like I don't care how much you like someone, never do that. And then I've made the mistake again this fall, inviting you idiots to the Cincinnati Notre Dame game. To that, obviously, Cincinnati ends up winning, and it was no fun. Like the Packers won that that NFC Championship game, and it was still no fun. Notre Dame losing, even less fun. Don't watch. It's just if you're really into a team, if you're really, really a fan, do not watch it with fans of the other team. It just it does not end up going well. Power ranking where to watch Island games down near the bottom of hell is watching it with a if you're a diehard fan and watching with the opposite fan yes. and watching it with a two year old. That is yeah. that is that is criminal criminal for Keyline Fred. And then you test positive for COVID. Prayers up for Keyline Gator Keyline. Might have to get a GoFundMe started. Keyline COVID sounds better than Keyline. Reach out to us on Twitter. You know you follow us on Twitter. We're gonna send you a hat. Courtesy of Tailgate. We're sending you a hat. Keyline Fred, prayers up. Next, is that the last one? No, we got one more. The last. What's up, Tailgate? I'm here to come after Mike Renner a little bit. Uh-oh. Towards the end of the season, <laughs> you were slandering Kirk Cousins quite a bit, and I get it. You're a Packers fan, and I mean, if you're dumb enough to spend $300 on a meaningless piece of paper, you're dumb enough to root for the Packers. That's what I always say. <laughs> but did you know that Kirk Cousins has a career-winning record against the Packers did you know he lights you guys up for an average of 300 yards for two touchdowns and less than a pick per game against you guys did you know that he only has one less playoff win since joining the Vikings than Aaron Rodgers does only one less playoff win so your guys's grades say Kirk Cousins is really good his numbers his counting stats say he's really good his wide receivers Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen Stephon Diggs when he was here, KJ Osborne, they all say he's good. So why can't Mike Renner say he's good? Say what he's is good. It, what is it about Kirk Cousins that people just hate him? Say he's good. I Mike. just I don't get it, man. What quarterback can win with a bottom five offensive line and a bottom three defense? If there's one that's won a Super Bowl with those things, let me know. I think. What's so. up, tailgate? No, no. <laughs> play it back. Love that. He who was that? Who was that? Was that Gator? Who? Uh, Kirk Cousins' dad's girlfriend's pet goldfish. Gerter mm. Gold. I wonder if that's his real name. I I would like to run the tape back on exactly what I said because I feel like he kind of just echoed my point of what I did say, which was you have what a bottom five offensive line and a bottom five defense, and he makes forty five million dollars against counts forty five million dollars against cap this year in 2022 and then he's a free agent and he's going to hold you for as much money as he can get from you that's the, that was my whole point i think he's very good i think he gets unnecessarily hated on because of how bad that offensive line has been over the course of his career and how he has been able to overcome in a meaningful way 
But paying him $45 million with that roster makes no sense. It's just a waste of resources. You are kicking basically a season down the toilet because you're not close enough to actually make some noise. So that's my that's my take on Kirk Cousins. Not that he's not good. Is that you got to make tough decisions as a franchise to get back into winning. And now Quessy, our boy, yeah, is going to be making those decisions. Quessy hired as the new GM. He's a big fan of PFF. He's obviously a big analytics guy. Eric Eager, who is the lead data scientist, I think director of research and development here at PFF, has shared drinks with Quessy and knows that the future is bright in Minnesota. The way but, you said that made it sound like they went on a date. They might have. And what's wrong with that? I mean, just Eric's a married man. That's what's wrong with that. I guess <laughs> Quezzy might be too. Who knows? Uh, let's get to the written mailbag. Remember, if you want to join the voicemailers, all the gators on the voicemail, make sure you go to speakpipe.com slash tailgate. Also, that link, if you can't remember that link, it is in any podcast description, whether you see it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. It's First, also on the screen. It's also on the screen, baby. It's also on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Brian Kelly's accent on Apple Podcasts reached out. And he's like favorite comps, all comp team, worst comps you've ever heard, like Chris Olave equals <laughs> and Allen. That one was a terrible comp. And we're going to get into bad comps. Oh. I like some of these names that you have on this list, though. My favorite one. Uh, just read off the list, and then I'll talk about my favorites here. Oh, man. I did just see a bad comp. I can't remember what it was, though. Oh, there was such a bad comp that I just saw earlier. Oh, I, oh well. I'm Orlovsky not- had those comps. We had that comp for Garrett Wilson, right? It was like a combination of like Devontae Adams and fucking Keenan. It was just some absurd shit. Yeah. Uh, but here's my comp. My uh, Probably my favorite because the check comps you'll see in the draft guide coming out Monday. Let's go. Here's my probably my favorite comp at each position. Quarterback, Carson Strong, the Nevada quarterback. Ryan Mallett with touch. Wow. Ryan Mallett with touch. That's, that's, a good, that's not bad. Like, that's not a bad. Ryan Mallett started some games he just couldn't do anything other than throw the ball as hard as he possibly could and that dude had a hose running back kyron williams notre dame running back pierre thomas somebody have actually reached out who, who reached out to me and said that the comp for kyron is pierre thomas i was like dude i already got I, I love that i, I love that comp. that's one of my favorites on this Stout, list out receiving backs undersized but maybe yeah, not pierre thomas is like five load. foot ten right not gonna carry a full load but dude who does these days <laughs> outside <on>. your mind <laughs> Uh, David Bell, the Purdue wide receiver, to James Jones, former Packer great, both physical at the catch point dude, despite maybe not being the most physically imposing. Like, I think Bell is like 6'1, 205. James Jones was like 6'200, but both guys have that to their game. Tight end, Trey McBride, the Colorado State tight end, to Dallas Goddard. That one writes itself. That one just watched, it just. It just is. Uh, offense tackle, Icky Aquano. We've said this one a lot. Kalichi Assembly. That one. Again, writes itself. I had someone reach out to me and said that was uh, Josh Liskowitz, PFF employee. He's like, mm-hmm. dude, that's comp. That's it. Uh, defense tackle, Jordan Davis, Jordan, the Georgia defense tackle. John Henderson plus 30 pounds. John Henderson, former Tennessee defense tackle. Jaguars great. The guy who's in that electric the slapping video, video. Slapping uh, himself or having someone slap himself. Yeah. Before every game, he would get his ass just slapped. Yeah. Absolute psychopath. One of the best run defending DTs of the mid-2000s. Who was the combo there? It was John Henderson and... Oh, yeah, the other Tennessee tackle, they both went top 10. They oh, were, wait, no, with the Jaguars. No, no the Jaguars. Oh, it was Stroud. Marcus Stroud? Marcus Stroud. Yeah, Marcus Stroud. Him and Marcus Stroud, man. That, those were, I know I was really young, but I remember those guys were fucking sick. Yeah. Tennessee had two, like, massive defensive tackles, so both go in the same year. I'm going to have to go look that one up after this. Um, edge defender Trevon Walker, the Georgia 
edge to Rashawn Gary, both size, speed, length, projections, basically, that are elite in their size, speed, and length. Uh, linebacker, I love this one. The, the interracial comp, Leo Chanel. Leo Chanel, I always do that. Wisconsin linebacker, DeBart Scott. Just wow. thumpers. Run down blitzers. Andrew Booth, the Clemson cornerback. Devontae Davis. And last, Lee. Jalen Petrie, the Baylor safety slash slot cornerback to Jimmy Ward, who himself was a slot cornerback in college at Northern Illinois. Um, and now Stamps is And my favorite favorite comps on those, and that's sick that you did this all comp list, love Kyron Williams to Pierre Thomas. Big fan of the... Coleccio semi comp, Coleccio semi comp, Frankie Quantum. And I love Jalen Petrie. Or is it Peter? It's Petrie. Petrie, the safety for Baylor, slot corner for Baylor to Jimmy Ward. I, he's going to be one of my guys. I haven't put him officially on my My Guys list, but I really like Petrie, the slot cornerback for Baylor. It was Albert Hainsworth. That's who it was. The oh, same duh. Year. Same year. John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth. I'm an idiot. This is from Dope Music Yo on Apple Podcasts. Thought, uh, thoughts on Tyler Algier and Jaron Hall. Algier is the running back for BYU. He's eligible in this draft class. I don't. Is Jaron Hall also eligible in this draft class? He's not in the draft class. Okay, he's eligible because he's going into year seven. Yeah, out of high school. You see that a lot with the BYU kids, though. Yeah, but like some positions, it's not like a massive deal. But it's like when you're a quarterback, you're that old, kind of like the Brandon Whedon thing. It's like. That's a little concerning. You're that old, still playing quarterback in college, I guess. I don't know. I mean, live it up, though. It's my time. Yeah, live it up at BYU. I'm I'm certain he's probably so. Okay, I guess that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Lined off. Um, (laughs) But Jaron Hall's got a cannon. He's pretty toolsy. Toolsy dude. I like played actually some good football down the stretch. I am surprised he didn't declare. Um, But again, obviously, you go to BYU, you go on more mission, you have, you know, other motivations shall we say. Um, so he's coming back to school. Uh, I think he could play his way into – I think he's definitely a draftable guy. Even at this point, he would have been drafted if he comes out this year. But plays way into the day two. I could see Tyler Algier is one of the better kind of well-rounded runners in the class in terms of like vision, translatability of the NFL and the way he runs. And, and then obviously size, like 5'11", 220. My worry about him is that like he's 5'11", 220, but kind of – He's got power backy traits when he's not really built like a power back. Like the dudes who are power backs in the NFL are 230 plus. Like Joe Mixon's 230. And you compare what Joe Mixon can do from like a movement skills perspective with Algier, it's kind of night and day. So Algier is kind of a guy I like at probably top of day three. He's also the guy that famously ran down that pump that, oh, that fumble. <laughs> I, I tweeted that, that a couple was, days ago. It's, it was absurd. That it's like a fumble or a pick. Is it a pick? I can't remember what it it's was. It's a fumble right. or a pick. And like the dude like runs all the way down to catch this Arizona State defender right before he goes in the end zone, like pops the ball out like a perfect peanut punch. It, it, it was an incredible football. A top five forced fumble of all time. <laughs> in terms of like how it looks visually. There's a screenshot that like where Algier is just like over the top. Looks like some fucking Dragon Ball Z yeah, shit. It looks yeah, like it's insane. Because he it's jumps, insane. he takes like a one-footed leap up. Yeah. To go then punch down. Which like normally when you're chasing a guy down like that, you often see the reverse punch where you're trying yeah. to bump it up. Or like you he just comes like in over the top. Dive, and just, or you like dive forward. He like is literally so close to him that he like can go from that insane. angle. It's insane. It is uh, an insane piece. Let's get to next question here. This is from Tommy Fantasy Guy. How will Bitcoin impact the NFL? You're asking the wrong guys. But you are. You are. 
I did find this hilarious that Darren, the, this Darren Rovell tweet from the other day about here, I'll just read it. The amount of people applauding players changing their salary into Bitcoin as if they were heroes has been comical. Rams Odell Beckham at least provides cautionary tale. So apparently Odell Beckham deal with the Rams were 750,000 and he took it in Bitcoin. And at the time, Bitcoin was worth 64,000. Now it's worth 35,000. So that Wait, deal, it's almost in half. So that, yeah. So that Holy deal is like almost cut in half to begin with 412,000. It's now worth. And now he's taxed though, because it's in California, 50% with federal and state tax on the initial number, because that's how it's works for tax purposes uh anything in terms of like payment no in way Bitcoin. so he's made only thirty five thousand dollars in actual income right now and what he has in terms or i guess not actual income in terms of like value of assets today on that contract That's and if absurd. it takes more he could be losing money by playing for the rams this year <laughs> that is absolutely insane that is absolutely insane. So, wow, that's scary. I do just think of that volatile asset as it's, as it's been. Let's go back to my counting background. Is not something I would want a ton of money in, I'll just say. I, I think it's fun speculating small amounts of money. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I don't have a ton of money. But When um, but, Quinn pulled up that tweet, I think a suggested tweet underneath it. I know this is a little bit of a tangent, and I, you can choose to decline a response to this if you want. What's your whole response to the Barry Bonds stuff? Barry Bonds not making the Hall of Fame in baseball and all that stuff. Oh, um, I think we talked about sports writers in baseball being just the most fart sniffery, full of themselves dudes on planet <laughs> Earth. I wonder what baseball is going to do when all the baseball writers die in like the next 10 years because they're all like 70 years old. Yeah, yeah. No one under the age of 30 gives a, like, gives a good goddamn about if Barry Roy Bonds uses steroids. Um, I'm only voting for Roy users if I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah, it was a, I think Big Cat had a tweet that they should just induct steroids into the Hall of Fame. It was the golden era of baseball. It was. How much more interest was there in 1998 than any other time in baseball history? It's true. Like it was or when lit. Barry was on that run, when Barry was on that yeah. run for those home runs, dude, the home run record or whatever, that was. That was I remember record. listening to like the radio, be, like sitting in a car listening to the radio to hear his at bats, just because like that's how that's the only way you could get. This is where we could like see it live. That's insane. Yeah. This is from Schmeels on Apple Podcast. I know pressure over sacks, but QBs still make good plays under pressure. How about a stat about pressures that result in sacks, throwaways, and turnovers? I feel sometimes raw pressures can inflate someone's grade, even though it doesn't negatively impact a play. Yeah. So one, there's like so few plays still that are sacks. Um, I, I can get it if you're trying to measure like wins above replacement or like impact or maybe not wins above replacement, like win percentage at or something like actual impact on games. But the grading is trying to measure performance. How good are you? Mm -hmm. So that's predictive going forward because if you're beating tackles left and right, and again, you creating sacks is still reliant on someone else being there to finish said sack. And which is not again, always the case. So uh, the crazy thing is there's not that many. So like TJ Watt this year, had only two plays where he got a pressure and didn't get the sack. Oh, wow. Or, no, no, sorry, sorry. And someone else got the sack. Oh, okay. You know, like, he got in on the vast majority of time. His sack-to-pressure conversion that, rate was also insane. It wasn't yeah. that insane, but it was yeah. insane. So he, he leads the NFL with 25 uh, pressures that then resulted in sacks. Garrett was – Miles Garrett was tied with him at 25. Robert Quinn, 24. Aaron Donald had 23. Nick Bosa, 21. Those were the top five sack creators, shall we say. 
Swag Daddy 42 on Apple Podcasts. What do you think the best case scenario for the 49ers is this playoffs? They already went further than I thought they would, which is good for me as a fan, but I worry Kyle could talk himself into Jimmy if they keep winning with him. Who do you think the 49ers start next year at quarterback if Jimmy led them to a Super Bowl this year? What is the most we could get for Jimmy in a trade if he leads us to the Super Bowl? What do you do? See, yeah, this is the best. I, I don't, there's no Kyle talking himself into Jimmy. He already talked himself out when he traded up and draft Trey Lance. Like that was it, you mm -hmm. know? Jimmy was fighting for his trade value at that point. So this is the best thing you can do. Like getting as far as you possibly can here. I mean, quite obviously as franchise this is the best thing you could do just in terms of like future prospects. Like winning it all would be the best thing you can do for Jimmy G and his value as a trade asset because you could sell every single team in the NFL on the narrative of, not narrative of, the actual fact of that at that point. You can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G, you know? Like, even if I doubt they do like at this yeah. point. I don't, I don't think they're going to. But you could sell that narrative to other teams and get something in return from because I don't think there's a world where Jimmy G is usurping Trey Lance as the future plan at quarterback. Really? Really? I, I do. <laughs> okay. I agree with you, right? And so much of PFF's grading, and I've talked a ton about, like, Jimmy G's the worst quarterback in the playoffs. So I get it. If he wins them the Super Bowl, though, that would be but see, like that would be unbelievable to do that. It would be no one has done that to to because they they'd have to literally move on from him. They'd have to oh yeah make the decision to move on from him after winning a Super Bowl. Didn't the Ravens do that with Dilfer? Wasn't he not there the next year? Eagles sort of did it with Foles too. Yeah, I guess, but that was a backup coming Brad, in, right? Brad that was Johnson a different situation. With the Bucks. I mean, it just has it's something that hasn't happened. Like it could have happened with Flacco. They were in that kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. Flacco, and instead, they just the jumped leverage. a ton of money into him. Yeah, they made. I wouldn't Go say there's decision, no chance you know? they talk themselves into him if he wins the Super Bowl. If he loses this week, obviously the likelihood that they commit to him next year is significantly lower. But if he wins a Super Bowl... Yeah. But see, it's like, if you objectively take a step back and look at it, they scored six points last week. Yes. You know, no, like, I, I guess. I, if he wins them, it's like your team won it. I, I, I don't. I still don't think they would give if, it to him. If, if, I think they'd be willing to, if they won the Super Bowl, trade him this offseason. I think that's quote what, this, a likely thing to happen. If, if they win a Super Bowl... With Jimmy Garoppolo, you should dump every dollar you have in a Kyle Shanahan's pocket. Like, every dollar. Every dollar. I mean, but do it again. Yeah. And D'Amico Ryans, right? Like, the coaching staff proves to be the most valuable thing with how bad Jimmy Garoppolo has played this postseason, with how bad Jimmy Garoppolo has played at times this year. To win a Super Bowl with that quarterback takes an absurd amount of effort and, obviously, skill from this coaching staff. Like, yeah. if... Kyle Shanahan is obviously just like going to be in his bag if he does that. All right, this is from KR295708. What happened to DJ Uyunglele? He was trashed this past season. I've seen good games from him. He threw for 500 yards, 500 or so yards versus Notre Dame two years ago. Is he done? Still have a shot the first round next year. What does he need to fix? He, that Clemson offense, I've said this on this podcast before, was one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's so hard to watch. So hard to watch. Unwilling to like give him easy throws, in my opinion. And, like, too interested in running the ball with him. When he's not, like, nearly as mobile as what Trevor Lawrence was, obviously they ran the ball a ton with Trevor Lawrence. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see him in a more aggressive offense and something that just lets him rip it a little bit more. Because such a low average shift to target, in my opinion. I want to see him push the ball downfield. I want to see some I want to see some more shots from this from this offense before, like, I'm ready to just, like, leave the Diju Ungalele train. Yeah, he – I'll say this. I think the Georgia game broke him. For like the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. I don't think he really recovered from that until maybe like 
a good portion later in that season because his feet were all over the place. Like he just, he looked, he was under more pressure. Like the offensive line was far worse this year than it was in his starts last year. But like, you could just see the uncomfortableness to his game. Like his, the platforms he was throwing from were far, far worse. And then his accuracy was just awful. I, I think the pressure he was under the Georgia game, the defense he was facing, the speed of that game just had his brain spinning and basically set the tone for how his gear was going to go. And also too many Dr. Pepper commercials. That's what, that's a big part too. You think that's a real factor? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I think, I think, um, what was I going to say? Too I'd many be, Dr. Pepper commercials? No, not too many Dr. Pepper commercials. I, I, I think there's more opportunity to see him uncork it down the field. You know, he had a 9.2 average of the target this year. I'm pulling Dude, up. Dude, I mean, like his corks so were flying all over the fucking place. Yeah, he's, he was problem. dramatically inaccurate. Is that even fixable, <laughs> right? Like, if he's going to be that inaccurate with the football, it's not fixable, right? Part of the question is, what does he need to fix? He needs to throw a more accurate ball. He's one of the least accurate quarterbacks in all of the Power 5 this year. I think he ranked 60th in accuracy percentage. Like, he was ass. Like, ass from an accuracy perspective. But he still has a bazooka. Yeah. And I, I, I want it. I want it in the NFL. I think he needs to be significantly more accurate, and they need to put up a lot more points. Because of it, if he's going to be considered a first-round pick. And that's way easier said than done. This is from Mendo's QM. Worst major sports memory? Wow, that's a good question. Go ahead. So, a few. Uh, actual, like, pro sports. Last weekend was up there. Like, Saturday. I don't think it was the worst, though. I think the 2007 NFC Championship game against the Giants was worse like 2014 NFC Championship game against the Seahawks was worse in terms of just like pure feeling after the game. But I, it was up there because like this team, those teams could have maybe won it all. This like this team felt like the favorite to win it all. This Packers team. I will also say as a kid, the Bucks losing to the 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals, that one hurt. This basketball was uh, one of my favorite sports growing up. Like I like basketball as much, if not more than football growing up uh, when I was that age, 11. Um my worst for me personally, I missed a buzzer beater to win regionals my freshman year. Oh. Off the back rim. I like felt great about it. That one sucked. And it was with my one team that had both my brothers on it. And then I didn't play with obviously both of them uh after that, but I played with one of them after that. But like that, that was sucks. a good team that yeah. that was the best team that we had in uh history. What was the what was the distance for the buzzer beater? It was three. It was open till. We had a, And you uh, were just trash or no, no, it's okay. I had hit one. <laughs> I had hit one to move us within one. They made one of the two free throws after we fouled them. And then you went for a three for the dub? Yeah, I went for a three for the dub. Jeez. I think the worst major sports memory, and I don't have a lot of them because, like, I was a big Raiders fan, and there were no major opportunities, right? There weren't yeah. a lot of, like, big playoff opportunities. I think the worst one was when Derek Carr got hurt. When Derek Carr broke his leg on the one sack that Donald Penn gave up that season, when I thought Derek Carr could win an MVP— when I thought the Raiders could go deep in the playoffs, Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, best offensive line in football. We got fucked. I mean, that, that set them. That back. sucked. That sucked. It completely let them on fire. Maybe personally, I did lead a comeback in Ultimate Frisbee at San Diego State against Cal, where we only had nine people, and you have seven on a side, so you had to like nine is low. Yeah. Like you got, you're tired. Let it come back. Tied it up. We were down like seven two at one point. Tied it up at one point, and then they ended up winning. It was fucking bullshit. <laughs> I, I I wasn't like terror. I was just more like man, like that defeat of the defeat of a 
failed comeback, man, hits different. Like when so you get this hope. Teammates. I'm not blaming my That's teammates. I didn't play. I mean, I missed some throws. I, I I didn't drop anything. I was sure-handed as hell. But I, um, I remember screaming at one of the – it was a weird – ultimate frisbee is a weird sport, dude, because you call your yeah. own fouls. So you're even in college. There's no oh. refs in college. Like you call your own fouls. So this guy, I give him a little dusty, and I stepped on his foot on the way, mm-hmm. and I, I he doesn't calls it late. I'm streaking down. Your boy's buzzing. Catch this one in the end zone. I don't even know what to call it end zone. And he's like, foul. After I catch it, when I had already burned him for another four yards, I fucking scream in his face. Guy's a piece of shit. Guy cost me. Cost us that win. Anyway. That seems very sus. It was so sus. It was so sus. I mean, but these are like tournaments though, right? Like if you ever gotten to like league regional play, obviously they had like, what they're called like moderators where like you still call your own fouls, but like they could like overturn shit. Um, Hmm. Ultimate Frisbee is fun. I think it's it's, it's a good time. All right. uh, Shall we get to... Trivia. Yep. Let's do it. Uh, first question. Who are the only franchise only franchises undefeated in conference championship games? Ooh. One team is five and zero, and the other is two and zero. One team is five and zero? Yeah, five and zero. Holy shit. That's crazy. Man. Um, I want to say for the five and zero, Steelers. Negative. Mm. No way. I'm trying to think of anyone who's even Super been to five Super Bowls. Ooh, maybe the the Bills. No, not the Bills, because wow. they won like a or no wait, those were the Super Bowls. No yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a good answer though. Next team I want to say is Dallas. No, uh, hint. You said the Bills. Their colors are blue and red. The Giants. Well, I don't know why I'm whispering. Is it the Dude, Giants? It's the Giants. Yeah. Wow, Giants a, is five and zero. Oh. I didn't know they've been to five Super Bowls. Interesting. How about the 2-0? Two two that means they've only been to two Super Bowls. Who's only been to two? Carolina. Negative. <gasps> Ooh. That's Big a- Cat is the mascot, though. Damn. I like that answer. Um, not the Jaguars. They lost. Mm. Big Cat? Big Cat. Oh, it's the Bengals? It's the Bengals. Oh, no. Can they get three? Can they get three? Quinn, what do you do if the Bengals win the AFC Championship? What's your go-to? Well, if we're at Circa. Oh, yeah, you're coming with us to Vegas. Yeah, we're going to be. That's going to be nuts, dude. So I looked up for the, you know, how. so we did trivia, the show. I don't know if you guys watched it. Listeners watched it. But we, we missed who had the worst playoff record. The And we guessed, uh. The Lions turns out it was the Bengals, mm-hmm. but all the Lions wins they have literally they have one playoff win in the Super Bowl era. No way! That's all of them was, came before the Super Bowl. All era? of them came before the Super Bowl era. They were like eleven and two before the Super Bowl <laughs> era. I was like, what? That trash right. question. Yeah, yeah. The see. numbers got skewed because of uh, Andy Dalton. It's true. Andy Dalton was out here, out here <laughs> shelling <laughs> out. He was like free Skyline Chili, free playoff L's, dude. Yeah. It was just all about the L's. Uh, next question. All right, this next one is from Lance Storer Gator on Lance? Twitter. Gator Let's Lance, go, yeah. Lance. If the Chiefs and 49ers win, it'd be the second time they faced off in a Super Bowl. These two teams have faced off the most times with three. Most times. Chiefs-Packers? Negative. I thought maybe early on. Yeah, they had early on championships. Uh, who's faced off the most? So who's been to a ton? Um, Is it... 
teams have faced off three times. Cowboys? Yes. And? Bills? Negative. Oh. Who is it? Cowboys who? Steelers. Steelers. Oh, I was going to say Steelers. Damn it. I shouldn't have asked so early. All right. Last one. This one's short and sweet. It's from our boy Perk. Two Mr. Irrelevance have started 17 games this year. Who are they? Gator P. Um, I used to I feel like I only I don't know a lot of Mr. Irrelevance. I used to think that like was a cool thing to know and like would try and memorize them. This one is kind of tough. That's a tough fucking that's tough. What are the positions? Yeah, I don't know. Any positions, yeah. It's a good call. Uh kicker. Oh, um kicker start, technically. I think Cairo Santos. Negative. Hmm. I thought he was a Mr. Irrelevant. I have no Harrison Bucker? Negative. Give me a second. One more guess on the kickers. Evan McPherson. No, he's not. A, he was no, fifth round. Evan McPherson was a fifth rounder. You're dumbass. Bro. Um, Premium pick. I don't know who. Paying off. Ryan Suckup. Oh, that's who it was. I was thinking of the Chiefs kicker. Cairo Santos. I knew they had one. Damn it. Damn it. The other position? Linebacker. Hmm. What team? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, here. Who is it? Keep Tay Crowder. I had to look that oh. up. Oh, Giants. Anyway. Is he still with the Giants? I think so. Clemson linebacker. Yeah. I, it's, to be honest, I have no idea who Tick. Do you have a know your co-host? I had one uh, from last week because oh, yeah. we didn't get to them. I do. Go it ahead. It was, oh, okay. I won the, I won one inner hall championship at Notre Dame. This is an honor of you getting accepted to do graduate courses. I got accepted. No one knows. The, the Gators don't know. I got accepted in Notre Dame to take graduate courses. I'm taking graduate courses. I'm going to be a Golden Dilmer by the Combine. And when I run into Brady Quinn, I'm going to be like, hey, Brady, where did you go to school? He's at Notre Dame. I say, me fucking too. That's what I'm going to say. That's literally word for word. I'm not, I'm not doing anything else until I you do You say that. I'm currently going there. Exactly. But I won one inner hall championship. So you have halls there. You're, you're going to find this out when you go there. Uh, the, and you play <laughs> sports within the people that live in your hall. Yeah. Won one championship. What sport was it in? Quidditch. God, no. Oh, you're uh, talking like halls and sh- I thought you were talking about like Potter <laughs> shit. What sport was it in? I will say, I don't think it was basketball. Um tennis. Baseball. Oh wow. How was that? Siegfried. Um I hit a home run in the finals because I was swinging as hard as I could. I struck out my first two at bats and then I just dropped dick on one it wow on the scoreboard it was probably with the top three farthest balls hit in my life it was bomb all i did nothing to help though besides that it was like a one run didn't even matter but it felt great my question was or is how many cars have i had oh no seven i have had one two three four five i've had six cars oh so close six cars and i have not driven or owned a car in five years my first car was a 65 mustang which was awesome my dad gave it to me because my grandma didn't want to drive anymore because she didn't she couldn't really navigate the non-power steering you don't realize how how much you need power steering on a car until you drive a car that doesn't have power steering very hard to parallel park etc my dad ended up crashing that in one of his duis so r.i.p the mustang after two weeks of having it then i got a muscle car, 77 Trans Am, Pontiac Trans Am. It was awesome. Real-world drive. You could do burnouts and shit. You could take turns really well. Got my only speeding ticket ever in that car. Um, my dad actually blew that up on the way 
to Alcoholics Anonymous, blew it up, which you hate to see. Then I was like, dude, no more muscle cars, dad, because you drive these things, you're going to blow these things up. Then I got uh, a Honda Pathfinder, which is more like these bigger SUV thing. Or no, it was a Honda Passport. Um, and then when I moved to San Diego for college, I just left it there and I gave it to my dad. I don't even know what he did with it. Then when I got to college, I skateboarded and biked for most of my years in college. I had a Honda Civic that on my way to college or somewhere, I ended up racing my friend and I blew up the engine. That thing ruined. That was, that was an attribute to my dad, by the way. Then I got a Toyota Corolla hatchback, which was lit. My girlfriend at the time, while I'm away, ends up crashing it, totaling it. It goes away. And my last car was a Saturn hatchback, one that I slept in my senior year for a semester at San Diego State. I ended up giving that to my sister, and she has since totaled that car. So I don't really buy cars anymore. That's why I don't really do it. You know, it's just not worth the investment. Are you going to drive in Vegas? Well, I'm going to drive everyone in Vegas. We're just going to get, we're going to be racing down the strip. going to race up and down the strip, baby. That's probably. Not a great thing to say, to be honest. Let's, uh, let's get off that topic. Uh, let's get to these interviews, man. Interviews with David Ojabo, Luke Tenuta, and Logan Hall. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is star Michigan edge defender David Ajabo. I heard the people call you Ja. We were talking a little bit before the show. You're down there in San Diego. I'm from, I'm from Oakland, but I went to San Diego State. From what I'm hearing is you might, you might move there soon because the food is that good. Hey, man, the food is busting over here. <laughs> I've uh, definitely been trying out new spots needed, man. That is phenomenal. Well, I, w- I want to focus, you know, not on San Diego. We'll get to you training at Exos, this pre-draft mm-hmm. process, all that stuff. But I want to turn back the clocks a little bit because I think you have, you know, one of the more unique, fascinating stories in this draft class, you know, coming over from Scotland and, and your parents getting you in this position to play basketball. And then you go to football. I guess walk me through your you know journey to football right and and your commitment to basketball and that pivot to playing football i know we've seen we've seen the interviews on espn and those things talking about how you know you're still learning the game right you you were a big basketball guy and then made football but talk me about that journey some of the highlights there coming from scotland all that stuff Hmm. so actually yeah the journey started in nigeria Mm -hmm. Uh, that's where i was born and i was a soccer guy straight up uh everybody didn't play soccer so you asked Loki uh, where I developed like nifty feet, you know, and uh, and then I grew kind of taller. So when I moved <laughs> to Scotland, you know, I just got into basketball more, you know, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, I was kind of like really good over there, you know, mm-hmm. in Scotland. So I said it's time to take it to the next level, and uh, through like the help of my coaches and stuff, you know, moved over to Jersey. We mm-hmm. landed in Jersey. Uh, Blair Academy, and uh, that's like a high-end prep school. Gotcha. It was plugged up with, you know, you know the D1. So, like, you know, went there, didn't really work out. You know, we had some crazy guys, you know, some Miami commits, you know. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, you know, it's not Scotland, that's for sure, you know. <laughs> so, you know, soccer didn't work out either as well, you know. And uh, I turned to track, actually. Track was, uh, you know, the the, the sport that kind of, like, propelled me to the next level, per se, because, uh, you know, I ended up running a really fast 100-meter time. You know, I won the state prep 100-meter dash, you know, just turning heads in general. And, you know, uh, you know, again, big credit to uh, Odafe Owe. <clears throat> he did something similar where he kind of, like, was bounced around sports from basketball, tried football, and blew up. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, you know, track, boom, we, we turn the heads. People, I've been hearing this football, football, yo, try football. You know, I was like, hell no, are you crazy? You feel me? I'm not trying to concussion and all that. So, yeah. 
boom. I, I just followed his lead, to be honest, because I seen it work out good. And, you know, we're kind of built the same and, you know, we moved the same. So, you know, I, that, that was it. I just gave it a shot, you know, blew up in my face, honestly. And how old were you then, right? How old were you when you first gave, you know, American football the opportunity? Uh, I think it was like 17. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if if Jason Oway, you're following Jason Oway's lead, you're in a really good place, right? Oway's already looking really good for the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously a first-round pick. Dominated at Penn State's Pro Day. I'm expecting massive numbers from you as well in this training process for XO. So I'm sure those numbers only go up and up. But before we get into this pre-draft process, and I think, again, your story is fantastic. You make this commitment to Michigan, right? You had offers from Notre Dame, Baylor, mm -hmm. Arizona State. You had offers everywhere. Former four-star recruit. You had offers also from Penn State, right? What yeah. ultimately drew you to Michigan, drew you to Anna? Ann Ar to Ann Arbor that um you know was was really the biggest polling piece of it uh well yeah from a high school standpoint obviously I kind of want to like make my own path so like in terms of following you know Jason you know Daffy I say you know what boom like let me go somewhere else and so like my top schools like Michigan Penn State you know that kind of route and then you know I mean biggest stadium can't go wrong there you know so in terms of just like environment and exposure you go crazy at the big house, the whole world watching. So, <laughs> you know, one of that. And then, uh, of course, the education. Man. My parents are Nigerian. You know, they, they're number one, you know, above all is getting your education. So, mm -hmm. you know, Michigan's, you know, top school in the whole country, you know, damn near world, I think. So, you know, you couldn't go wrong there either. So I just, I made my decision. Talk to me more about the relationship with your parents. I think I saw an interview with them on ESPN Game Day where they looked all, just so supportive of you, man. I think that yeah. is something that I can appreciate and really envious of, right? You have such a good, looks like you have such a good relationship with your parents and they are so supportive. I guess speak to just how big they've been in your life and how important they've been to you. Mm, I mean, man, they've been, uh, one, my motivation, but two, kind of like, like my guidance, man. They, they, they they the one to, uh, that told me kind of like chase your dreams end of the day you know mm -hmm. so I had my dreams I ran them out but but they supported it you know without them you know I literally won't you know I've gone over to to the states so you know they we have a group chat we talk almost every day you know my mom always trying to call me every day stuff <laughs> you know stuff like that but yeah they they're a major piece and they're gonna continue to be a major piece in this whole process. You mentioned you wrote your goals down. Was that when you turned 17, turned 18? Was that while you were at Michigan? And I guess when you first wrote those goals down, what were they? Oh, uh, actually, nah, these were even before I came to America. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like just these little post-it notes I had, uh, just kind of like a, just motivation, you know, and I, I signed it and I had it on my wall just, you know, just to kind of see. And so that's, that was even, yeah, pre-America. You know? Wow. And so now I have nothing to do with football. Well, so let's get to Michigan, right? You go to Michigan and you are playing along a star-studded defensive line in this 2021 yeah. season, this monster breakout season. In 2020, only 26 snaps played, obviously a COVID-impacted season. Then this mm -hmm. upcoming season, you play a ton of snaps and you break out. Everyone's talking about David Ajabo now. What yeah. do you feel like fueled this breakout season the most? Was it Mike McDonald? Was it the leadership of an Aiden Hutchinson? Was it Harbaugh? Was it your parents? I guess, what do you feel like mm -hmm. was the biggest driver here? Man, I feel like every the star is just kind of aligned, you know I mean? It was my third year, you know, the anger from COVID, you yeah. know, no fans, you know, I got stuck in Scotland, uh, you know, seeing my dog, uh, Dafe go to the league. I said, man, you feel me? Like, 
Again, it's stuff like it's time to show up. It's time to show up. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) TikTok, you know, time is ticking. So, you know, and 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 it was the perfect, you know, perfect time. You know, the old staff got, you know, cleared out. A new kind of NFL, you know, hybrid, you know, kind of look came in. I said, "Yo, say no more." So, it was a perfect fit for me, and uh, I took took advantage of it to say the least. Let's talk a little bit more about the coaches, and then we'll get to Aiden Hutchinson. We've had Aiden on this podcast. He's another dude that's just been so phenomenal this year, obviously, for Michigan. But McDonald and Harbaugh. McDonald, you know, cooking up a gem on defense for Michigan this year. And Harbaugh has been such a massive needle mover for this entire program, right, for the time Mm -hmm. that he's been there, man. What is your relationship with those two? And I guess I speak to, again, just the importance of their roles in this season. I mean, Coach Mack, man, he quite, I think he changed the culture, honestly, man. He he came in and was just preaching family, preaching selflessness, preaching, you know, aggression, preaching playing loose. And like that really, you know, it just screwed in our heads. And you start, I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was playing loose, you feel me? I, I just got to, I just fed off his energy. We all fed off each other. And then, you know, lastly, brotherhood, man, he, he brought the brotherhood. He... In my eyes, let me talk for myself. I thought I think he brought the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, we you could tell even the coaches, man. Like I wanted to play for the coaches, you know. And you know, for someone who didn't really understand the sport or kind of like was still learning, like I like my my drive to learn was because the coaches were invested. You know, they you could tell they wanted good for us. You feel? Me? Yeah. So, man, it is a give and take, and I feel like I said the stars aligned. And then because Coach Harbaugh, man, since I got there. Uh, that's the guy, man. He he. That's a player's coach. You know, he he's a winner. You know, they, they love you when you're up, hate you when you're down. So you know how to talk. They people gonna talk regardless. But yeah, Coach, he's he's the man, man. You know, that's a, that, that's all. That's phenomenal. Let's get to let's get to Aiden then. You guys obviously one of the best pass rushing duos in the in the in all of college football this year. Yeah, yeah. What was your guys' relationship like in practice on and off the field? And did you guys ever come up with a nickname? I feel like most pass rushing duos have this like you no know, you know uh, slash bros stuff like that. Did you guys ever get the nicknames going? Nah, again, like to speak on that uh, again with the brother. We as an outside linebacker group, we're called mm-hmm. the Reap. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were called the Reapers. So we kind of just ran with that name. And uh, honestly, man, Aiden, me and Aiden, that's my first, that's my dog. You feel me? Uh, off the field, we didn't really hang out. He, he's kind of a to himself guy. I'm to myself. But on the field, you know, we, we just feed off each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just look at each other, give each other a look, and like kind of know, you know, what's about to go down, you know, yeah. or like what I should do, what he should do. You know, we just fed off each other, man. And uh, it was natural because. I mean, spring ball, you know, he was hurt. So the chemistry, yeah. came, the chemistry came like that, you know. And even the start of the season, I didn't play as much, you know. So you can't really say, you know, it was a duel off rip. So it just came, it just came natural, man. And, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for it. Kind of one more thing on this season at Michigan, then we'll talk a little bit about your pre-draft process. But where would you say your game specifically improved the most this year, right? I think when people turn on the tape for David Ajabo, so much of it is burst, athleticism. But you've always had that, right? I think you turn the page in using your hands and get off and timing things. I guess where would you say your game has improved the most on the football field? Uh, definitely just IQ. I feel like it just slowed down. You feel yeah. me? Uh from where my eyes should go to like cadence to the motions, just understanding what's going on around me. 
you know, and then when, when, when you start to do that, everything just slows down. You know, I, I see how the tackle shooting his hand, you know, yeah. I see when the quarterback is really about it, you know, stuff like that, you know, so it's just my IQ in general. Yeah, I mean, I talk to a lot of guy, a lot of players that are going on to the NFL, and one of the that's the first thing they bring up when I ask them that question. Everyone thinks that the game can slow down as you learn more, and you not even playing football until you're 17. <laughs> this game, I think, is going to continue to slow down for you, right? Once you get into the NFL and and continue yeah. to move forward, man, that's awesome. So you're down there in San Diego, you're training. Mm. This is your bread and butter, dude. You go down to San Diego, you're going to be working the drills that everyone's going to be talking about David Ajabo for, you know, the 40-yard dash, the vertical, the broad, all that stuff. I guess, are there any high-level goals while you're down there? Is there a certain weight you're trying to get to or certain times you got marked on your calendar or on those sticky notes? I mean, honestly, uh, man, I'm just rolling with the punches, man. I'm not, you know, whatever Exo's got planned, you know, whatever, you know, my agency, whatever it is, man, I'm not, I didn't come with a pre-plan. I didn't, you know, three months ago, plan to win the Big Ten. Like, yeah. you know, stuff like you just day by day, you know, you know, hour by hour, every, you know, you can't be thinking too far ahead. But, you know, I I just come in, work hard. That's that's it. Yeah, that's I, definitely yeah. can respect that. In, in this time that you've had in the off season, I know you're probably training every single day in between California burritos, of course. But <laughs> have you had any have you had any time to uh, turn on some NFL tape? Right? Do you ever watch guys in the NFL, guys that play your position? And if you do, are there certain guys that you try to pattern your game after? Uh, definitely, yeah. Frank Clark, Chandler Jones, just kind of like them unorthodox, twitchy, kind of power guys, you know. Uh, Brian Burns, you know, kind of deceptively strong, but obviously very quick, stuff yeah. like that. Like, you know, them them long, lanky kind of guys. And, uh, you know, I'm, not, again, still learning to sport with those guys, you know, them, them the ones that, you know, Vaughn Miller, his dip, mm -hmm. you know, just pick, pick and choose. But, yeah, them little, them good edge rushers. I watched them. Fantastic stuff, man. Dave, I really appreciate you jumping on the show, man, and I, I wish you the best of luck moving forward. This has been fantastic. Enjoy San Diego, man. I'm blessed. Appreciate it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Virginia Tech offensive lineman Luke Tenuta. Do I have that pronounced right, Tenuta? You do. It's great. Perfect, yes, perfect. I had, to, I had to ask your former teammate, Lasitas, well, how he, I was going to say – I don't even remember how I was going to pronounce it, but Lasitas is how it goes, man. He's got a harder name to pronounce than you do, but I really appreciate you jumping on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been probably a really, really fun offseason to start. You're down there in Pensacola training with Exos. Lasitas is down there as well. Talk to me about how that's going so far and kind of what the what the weekly routine looks like for you right now. Is it a lot of diet? Is it a lot of exercise? How much are you in the film room? I guess, you know, what's all going down there at Exos? Uh, it's going great. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of obviously, movement preps, getting ready for, you know, the 40, Eldra, all that stuff. And then, obviously, strength training when it comes to the lower body and upper body, getting ready for, you know, the 225 test. And then uh, when it comes to position work, got a great uh, – Josh Shittens, our position coach, down there for the nice. line, NFL veteran and all that stuff. And going over with him when it comes to position work and then uh, going on the board, drawing stuff up with him and then going over film with him. So it's going great down here right now. It's really – it's a fun and cool process. It's it's really, you know, awesome to get to enjoy it and learn a lot while you go through it. 
That's fantastic. I want to talk a little bit more about the pre-draft process later, but before we do, your Virginia Tech career is one where you really improved every year of your career there, having played over 500 snaps in 2019, 2020, and in 2021, over 700 snaps played in 2021, but you made a big shift, right, from 2020 to 2021, playing almost exclusively right tackle in the two years prior, and then playing a ton of left tackle this season. I guess, how was that shift for you? How fun was that for you to get into that new position? And I guess, describe some of the challenges, right, flipping to the other side uh it was cool you know obviously you know 2019 and 2020 all i played was right tackle besides one game uh cd was out and i had to play left in 2020 but uh you know obviously coming into college i never really played offensive line in high school so you know they stuck me at right tackle when i first got there and i just learned to do that and i think that was a big adjustment last spring you know getting told i'm playing left tackle and just you know obviously you just switch your stand a lot of people just switch your feet up but you know it's a little more difficult i think than that but I really enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, fill, filling in Christian Darisol Sues had some big shoes to fill. But I really enjoyed getting the opportunity to play left and be the blindside protector. And I, you know, I really enjoyed it this year. It was, it's cool. It definitely, you know, helps me that I'm able to play both now. I really think so. That, that's fantastic, man. I didn't know that you didn't play a ton of offensive line in high school. I know you were a former three-star recruit, had some offers from Cincinnati, Colorado State, Charlotte, ended up making the decision to go Virginia Tech. I guess what all positions did you play in high school? And I guess did you play any other sports? Uh, yeah, I, in high school, I really just played D-line. I really wanted to be a defensive end in college, you know, uh, but that didn't really happen. I played some tight end. <laughs> I played O-line, I think, two games in high school. It was okay. I didn't really enjoy it that much, honestly. But uh, And then in high school, I, play, I was a big time. I was a baseball player, so I always thought I was going to go to college and play really? baseball. I did, yeah. my uh, One of my older brothers is a professional baseball player, so and he got drafted out of high school. So I really thought I could be like him until around <laughs> sophomore year of high school. I was like, ah. I can't really hit the strike zone like he could being a pitcher. And I was, I was just like, I got to focus on football. But I, I enjoyed playing baseball through high school, and I, I enjoyed that. But, yeah. I was going to ask what position you played in baseball, right? Because you're listed on Virginia Tech site, six foot nine, three twenty two. Where were you at in high school? We have an analyst here at PFF who is a former minor league pitcher, Steve Palazzolo. He's like six foot ten, three ten. So he's wow. kind of in that same mold. But um, I guess, how big were you in high school? When did you really start to add weight and fill into that frame, and um, and, and so forth like that? Uh, in high school, I was probably I don't know if I was six nine. I was probably around six seven, six eight. I was only in high school. I was only about. Two, I showed up at Virginia Tech at two fifty nine. So in oh high my school, gosh, two fifty. Yeah, I was a skinny kid. I was very skinny in high school. I mean, two fifty is probably not that skinny, but I was. I looked very skinny being as tall as I was. So I was pretty skinny when I showed up to Tech. I think I, the weigh-in day I was exactly two fifty nine. So it was man. Uh, and yeah. I guess you don't really see a ton of six foot nine defensive ends in the NFL. They were probably smart to kick you out to tackle with those long arms. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, mean, I was just I was hopeful in the whole process to get scholarships that you know someone give me a shot, but didn't really end up like that. But. That's, I'm that's awesome. For it. Well, you mentioned Christian Darisaw. I'd love to, t to hear you talk more about the relationship you had with him. He's a guy that had a really interesting path to Virginia Tech. I think he went to a prep school his first year. And then really, mm -hmm. you talk about a guy that improved every single year of his career at Virginia Tech. And even when you know, he had an injury, obviously, this offseason wasn't able to play to start for the Minnesota Vikings. But you saw how good he was, how high floor he was from a production standpoint when he played this year. What was your relationship like or what is it like with Christian Darisaw? And I guess how much did he help you in this process? Oh, that's one of my best friends. I mean, CD, he, uh, obviously, we got there the same time in 2018 because he went to Fourth Union Prep School. So he enrolled a semester, at, or he was there a semester before me. But, I mean, just watching him grow and getting to learn from him, obviously. I mean, I learned a lot. From, I probably learned 
a ton of offense line for him. Just the way he's able to, the way he goes about his business every day. He's, he doesn't talk that much. He goes in, he does the work, but he's just a very smart, high football IQ guy when it comes to going on the board, breaking down film, and he shows it on the field. He uh, he knows what's going on. He knows all that. Uh, but when it comes to football, you know, that guy, very high IQ, very fo- high football IQ, and he's just a great guy overall. Speaking, I mean, maybe it's a trend at Virginia Tech. The Hokies are turning them out, but high football IQ. We talked a little bit before we started recording, but Lasita Smith was on this show, and one thing I came away from was, man, this guy gets it. You know what I mean? This guy mm-hmm. really does get it. He's a film junkie. He's a really smart kid. Um, what was it like playing with him this year, and I guess how much did you guys you know, pair, you know, work off each other and compete in practice? Oh, it was nice working with him, uh, being on the left side. You know, every day after practice, you know, every game week, we'd be in the film room for hours breaking down who we're about to play. And, you know, Lasitas, you know, he loves the big talkative guy, very smart guy. But, yeah, I love playing next to him this year. It's really fun. He's just a great guy. Yeah, love him. That's awesome, man. So in this pre-draft process, obviously you're training there at Exos. Are there – I know you're working on everything, right? You're probably looking at, you know, either, you know, add in every single drill that you're doing. But do you have any high-level goals, right, going into this early offseason? I know you also have plans to go to the East-West Shrine Bowl. Before we talk about that, athletically or, like, body type-wise, are there some high-level goals that you're working toward? I'm just trying to be, you know, the best in shape when it comes to doing all the drills and stuff. And having a good you know having really focused on balance when it comes to stuff like that and being more explosive when it comes to starts and doing all those drills my big thing was being more explosive when it comes out again out of your 40 stance and stuff like that and just really building strength when it comes to my upper body now looking ahead to the east west shrine bowl we'll actually be down there in vegas so we'll have to catch catch up when we get down there but Big opportunity, obviously, there in Vegas to work in these one-on-ones, right? Whether it's the Senior Bowl or the, the East-West Shrine Bowl or the Hula Bowl, Collegiate Bowl, it doesn't matter. Where you got to show up is these one-on-ones. You've talked to offensive linemen time and time again that have really risen their stock or really risen among media with their ability to go toe-to-toe in the one-on-ones, in the run fit, I mean, in the run team drills, and also, obviously, the game itself. How much are you preparing for these, right? Have you turned on some tape for some of these defensive linemen you're going to go against? And I guess, you know, how excited are you for this opportunity? I'm extremely excited. I'm excited the East-West. Uh, I was able to graduate early and be able to compete in the East-West Shrine game. And, uh, you know, like you said, one-on-ones, that's a big deal. You always see people always all around those when it comes to these games. And just really focusing on my pass set, being balanced in my set, being explosive out of it, and just really working on both sides, right and left, and be able to do both when I'm there. Gotcha, man. And I think we can close with this one, Luke. I really appreciate the time. You know, in this process, we always talk about, you know, combine, pro days, the, these all-star bowls. But such a big part of it, too, is just how much you're going to talk to NFL teams, scouts, coaches, GMs, really trying to figure you out. And I think one of my favorite questions that's in those interviews consistently is how much do you love football? I'd love to hear kind of your reaction to that and I guess how you're going to answer those in these, in these uh, interviews. Uh, I mean, with my dad being a college coach for over 40 years, I grew up around the game. It's all I know. I love it. It's my passion. You know, I'm a student of the game. The way I look at it is I learn. I get better every day when it comes to perfecting my trait. Uh, all I know really is football. Having my father been a coach for so long, my oldest brother being a college coach, now a high school head coach. I mean, I love. that's all I know how to do. Once I'm done playing, I'm going to be a coach just like them. So, I mean, I, I love the game. It's all I know how to do. It's all I want to do. So, when it comes that's to awesome. that, that's my passion. Won't be coaching until you get that Hall of Fame jacket, of course, in the NFL. But I, I really appreciate the time, Luke, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. All right, thank you. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Houston defensive tackle Logan Hall. Been really excited to get you on the Tailgate Podcast, Logan. Really appreciate the time. You're out there on the West Coast training with Exos right now, right? Yes, sir, I am. 
How you how you liking the weather, man? I'm from I'm from California. I'm from Oakland, California. Went to school at San Diego State. I just got off the phone with another guy who's training in San Diego. The food, the weather, I'm sure it's just all that good. Oh yeah, it's uh it's actually a little bit cold up here. Oh no. Yeah, it's different from from Houston, different from what I'm used to. Uh, it's it's chilly pretty much every day. Um okay. so I'm I'm definitely adjusting to that. And you're from Texas, born and raised, right? Went to Houston and from, it looks, Belton, Texas, I guess. Is this your first time out on the West Coast? Uh, Yeah, so like I said, I uh, I was born in Texas, raised in Texas, um, Central Texas, Waco, mm-hmm. Waco area. Um, I was born on Fort Hood, went to Houston. Um, so, yeah, I'm from this area. Um, gotcha, man. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get into this season that you had for Houston, man. These past two years, over 80-plus PFF grades, it's been really a phenomenal career throughout Houston that you've had. I would love to talk more about what you've, you know, what all went into the development at Houston, right? Where do you feel your game has improved the most going from 2018, 19, 2020 to 2021, playing over 300 snaps in all four of those seasons? Where do you feel like your game has gotten the most improved? Uh, the most improvement I would I would say I had is probably pass rushing. Um, you know, just that experience is invaluable. Um, the reps I've had, um, that that is definitely I feel like what catalyzed my growth. That experience, but you know, definitely playing under guys like PT, Ed Oliver, um, Gerard Carter. Um, you know, just listening and watching their game that's definitely been a great help as well. And even, you know, going into this season, I guess I'd love to hear more about your film preparation process. Talking to defensive linemen specifically, I always find it interesting to hear kind of in a given game week when you turn on the film, you know, what exactly are you looking for? What tendencies do you look for when you're watching an opposing offense or opposing line or an opposing lineman? I guess, what are all the things that you look for when you turn on the tape? Uh, the first thing I'll probably look for is the run pass tip in the offensive lineman, not just the guards. Um, the, the tackles are typically like the uh, the prime suspects. They 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 give up the, the tip more frequently, but the guards, the centers, um, anything to help me get that that competitive advantage. You know that pre snap awareness. Um, but you know, aside from that, um, the backfield sets. You know, um, looking at that, that'll tell me kind of what what plays I have coming my way or away from me. Um, all of those little things, you know, Coach Early, he did a great job preparing us, um, gave us things to look for when we're watching tape on our own. Uh, that was that was really invaluable this year for me. You mentioned a handful of players that you've played with in your time at Houston. Peyton Turner was a guy that PFF really liked coming out, obviously a guy that went high in the NFL draft. I guess speak to the relationship you have with him and I guess the effect that he had on your development there at Houston. Oh, yeah, Peyton's my buddy. Uh, in all honesty, I kind of look at him as an older brother. Um, he's, he, like I said, he's been a great help. Um, you know, just trying to compete with him every day has made me better, not just on the field, but in the weight room, in the film room, um, mm-hmm. practice field. Yeah, that's, that's my guy. He's helped me out a lot, you know, even in this pre-draft process, he's put me on some game. Um, we, we got a good relationship. That's my guy. This pre-draft process, man, going to be a hectic one. I think it all starts really with this training process that you're going through right now with Exos. How has that been so far? I know it's you know it's sometimes two, three a days, a lot of dieting, a lot of you know working working out. I guess how has that gone so far? And what high level goals do you have for this process? Are you looking to put on weight, cut weight? Are there certain you know measurable goals that you have you know as you lead up into the combine and your pro days? 
Yeah, this process has been awesome. Um, you know, it's kind of given me a taste of what being a pro is like, you know, no school, just football, football mm -hmm. related. Um, I've actually really been enjoying it. Um, it's been really cool. A lot of work, you know, I'm, I get some nights I get home at five o'clock, um, strict with my diet, strict with the training sessions, treatment, all that type of stuff. Um, as far as my goals, you know, I think I'm, I'm at sitting at like 275, you know, sometimes it bumps, sometimes it drops just a little bit, but mm -hmm. in park, I don't have like a, a certain goal. I'd say, I think I'm at a good weight <clears throat> and I gain and lose weight pretty easily. So as long as I'm moving well, I'm, I'm staying flexible. My feet are still nice. Um, I think this is a good weight, but you know, obviously whatever a team needs me, at, I can, I can adjust to. Yeah. And so I think you're listed on Houston's site at six foot six two sixty. Did you play the year in that range, or you were were you closer to this two seventy five mark? No, yeah, this entire season I was closer to two seventy five. Like I said, it might it might fluctuate just a tad bit, but yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you're able to you know add that weight and still kind of maintain the explosiveness that everyone sees on tape. The flexibility, like you said, I think that's obviously going to pay dividends. Another you know big part of this pre draft process will be the opportunity you have at the Senior Bowl, right? And going against some of the best you know the best prospects in this draft class down there in Mobile in these one on ones that get often you know um, discussed in the you know in draft shows and on Twitter and stuff like that. I guess how excited are you for this opportunity and what have you done in preparation for that? Right? Have you had any opportunities to turn on some tape from some of these offensive linemen you're going against or anything like that? Nah, so I have not cut on the tape and watched the old linemen, but as far as like, uh, you know, you spoke about like my, my excitedness, man, I'm, I'm foaming at the mouth. This is get any better than that. You know, all eyes are going to be, you know, on us. And I look forward to, you know, showcasing my talents. Um, I feel like, you know, I've got a chip on my shoulder being not a power five <clears throat> from a power five school, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't had as much respect on my name. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to proving, proving what I got, you know. There's a, I mean, that's honestly, when you think about, you know, group of five players, FCS players, division two players, all that, you know, this is always highlighted as that opportunity to kind of level the playing field. Right. And you see time and time again, non power five players really raise their stock or really just like enter national attention because of the work they do at the senior bowl, which obviously you're in a prime position to do so. Other part of this pre-draft process I do like to talk about is these interviews, right? You're going to be doing a ton of interviews with guys like me, a ton of interviews with scouts, GMs, coaches, all that stuff. And, and some of the most common questions in that are like, how much do you love football? And they're going to obviously have you cut on the tape and stuff like that. What preparation have you done for those? And I guess how excited are you for those? You, re you read some of these reports, man. You're asked to do staring contests, all that stuff. I guess how excited are you for those? No, yeah, I'm definitely excited. Um, you know, we've had some we, – we're going to start preparation here at Exos here pretty soon um, about interviews and stuff like that. And I've gotten on the board um, with, you know, a couple of defensive coordinators um, – regarding like X's and O's and stuff like that. So um, I've kind of had a little taste of it, but, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I want guys to know who I am, how I operate, how I think. Um, and, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, the other other piece I would like you know to discuss with you, I guess, is um, when you're specifically as a pass rusher, I think something that is standing out on your tape is the explosiveness, is what you're able to do um, naturally, athletically, but also this repertoire of moves, right? And I've talked to some guys that want to just have one move and a primary counter and they lean into those two moves, but while others are prioritizing variety, right, and want to be able to do all these different things, I guess, how do you approach that? problem i guess or approach that opportunity to have this you know repertoire of pass rush moves and how often are you kind of working those moves to add to it uh so it all started you know 
when I when I started working with Coach Brian early, my position coach at Houston, and you know he always just tell me like you don't want to keep pulling from that well, that you know like your 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 main move, and you got to have like a <clears throat> a switch up to your fastball. So I've always looked at it as like you know to have one go to, but you got to have you know others as well that you can you can fall back on, um, and not just like one move. You know you got to be a counter rusher, but um, yeah, I've definitely added to my repertoire over the years. Uh, I'm a big fan of the, the swim move. That's probably my favorite. Um, I'm a big power rusher. We call it shake power. That's probably my number two. Um, you know, I dabble in the chop spin a little bit. And like, you know, I got a couple of them that I bust out from time to time. But um, you can't. You can never have too many, right? Yeah, no, I would agree. The chop spin, have to do it, man. Well, I'm excited to see those moves down at the Senior Bowl, and I really appreciate the time. I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Absolutely, man. You as well. That's going to do it for this a whoa. That's going to do it for this episode. Asagale with Mike Renner, Mike Quinn. Next time you hear from us, we will be in Sin City, baby. Gators, until next time. Chomp chomp. I'm going to start saying chomp chomp. Chomp chomp.